Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 2nd, 2022. It is currently 1.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Well, a few days ago, we found ourselves in the midst of kind of a a small mini-series. I, I don't know how long this series is going to go, but we found ourselves in it, and I'm not ready just to say, okay, that was it. It was two episodes and we're done. No, I feel like we have to do probably at least two more. I don't know. Maybe this will be the last one. Who knows? I I probably find this topic to be far more interesting maybe than many others, but I believe it's an issue. It's a problem, even though nobody else may find it interesting or even a topic they want to discuss. We need to discuss it because it's a very real problem. So are you ready? Are you ready to continue this discussion? I hope you are. Let's remind you how this all started. It all started because I was like, okay, I've been sick with COVID. Can't have church because I'm still testing positive for COVID. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'll just reach over, reach over, grab my iPad, open up Pocket Cast, find the first Christian podcast, hit play, and whatever they talk about, that's what we are going to discuss. That's literally what happened. And I grabbed the iPad, opened up Pocket Cast, found a Christian podcast, hit play, and this is what I heard. Would you say that Christians are characterized more by unity or by division? Well, critics would often say division. I mean, by some counts, there are tens of thousands of denominations. How many different Christian churches are there where you live? Well, the town where I live is a fairly small rural community, population about 4,000. And I can count over a dozen Christian churches just in my town. A Wesleyan church, a congregational, Baptist, Nazarene, Catholic, Lutheran, United Methodist, Reformed, Christian Reformed, Alliance, Assembly of God, Independent Bible, a Bible Believers Church, a Vineyard Church, and that's probably not even all of them. Well, for our next two podcasts on Discover the Word, the group's going to be talking about some advice from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans about getting along. Why can't we all just get along? And that's how it all started. Why can't we all just get along? Would you characterize, would you say Christianity is characterized more by unity or disunity? Would you say Christianity is known more for its unity or its division? And I think anyone who's being even halfway honest with the situation would have to acknowledge Christianity is divided. There is disunity. There is so much disunity. There is no agreement on pretty much anything. That's what characterizes Christianity. We may not like it. We may want to try to find a way to explain it away, but that is the reality. So we did two parts talking about disunity within the body of Christ, disunity within Christianity, and we're going to continue that conversation today, not utilizing the Discover the Word podcast. I still want you to go find that podcast. Look up those two. They did two uh, 
I hate to say two episodes, but that's really what it is because they, 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 it used to be again, Monday through Friday, they would release an episode every day. Now they group an entire week as one episode. So really it's two part series they did on why can't we all get along? Why can't we just get along? Why can't we all just get along? And you can go listen to it and see what they have to say. Their approach was kind of weird. It was kind of like there's disunity, but don't really worry about the disunity. Don't don't focus on that. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 and chapter 13 and 14, and let's just find some principles that supposedly will help us all just get along. And we looked at some of the principles they gave, and they are very interesting principles. Don't really know if, if you can say Romans 12 through 14 was trying to fix the disunity within the body of Christ. But what we can say is that even though the principles may not fix what the real issue is, we did find some interesting things with the principles they took from those texts. However, they they still did not really deal with the problem. The problem is Christianity is divided. That's just a fact. And you can try to find up uh, find a couple of principles and say, hey, focus on these principles, but don't look over there. Don't look over there. It's really not a solution. It's almost like, hey, let's look at Romans 12, 13, and 14. And we'll find some very interesting verses here. Hey, look at these verses. Instead of going, but wait a minute, uh, it's, it's almost like they think that by looking to Romans 12, 13, and 14, we'll forget the fact of how bad the problem is. Um, and they, they didn't really offer any solution. So what I did is said this. Here's what we can do. Number one, we can acknowledge the problem. Number two, acknowledge there's no fixing the problem because there isn't. And number three... I think it's possible. In fact, not only is it possible, I think it's the only even halfway workable solution is that when it comes to unity, you can't worry about trying to fix the disunity in the body of Christ. All you can do as an individual is look to yourself and say, what can you do within your local congregation to be a source of unity within that setting? I don't, we, we're not going to fix the problem within the body of Christ. The body of Christ is broken. It's divided. It's disu- there's disunity. There's division. And there's no ever going back. But we can seek unity within local congregations. So instead of worrying about what everyone else is doing wrong, look to yourself and go, what can you do to be a source of unity within your local situation? That is something I thought I... I thought it was at least a a pretty, I thought it was a pretty interesting solution. I thought it was a pretty interesting way of approaching it. I didn't get a lot of feedback. So I don't know if everyone else felt the same way or maybe everyone else disagreed, which was, which would be just kind of humorous, right? No, you're wrong, which would only demonstrate how how divided we are that we can't even agree on a possible solution. But I at least put that out there. So here's what I want to do today. Really, I've got two things. Number one, I'm going to look at an email that was sent to me just a couple of hours ago because I always appreciate when people do email me and offer some thoughts. And then we're just going to look at an article that at least tries to, I guess, come up with some kind of an answer to the disunity problem within the body of Christ. And then we will, we'll, we'll just stop for, for today and then we'll see where this conversation goes tomorrow. All right. So let's do this. All right. Here's what I want you to do. You cannot deny the disunity in the body of Christ. 
There are thousands upon thousands of denominations. There, nobody agrees on pretty much anything. I know whenever I say that, I always get some pushback. I don't really understand why. Christians don't agree on baptism. Christians don't agree on the Lord's Supper. Christians don't agree on the structure of the church, on leadership within the church. Christians don't agree on how to interpret scripture. We don't agree even on a hermeneutical system. We don't agree on translations. We don't agree on, on, on any, we don't really even agree on salvation. You can say, no, we do. No, we don't. You've got everything from Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, Augustinianism, Calvinism, Arminianism. You got all, all things all over the place. We don't agree on basically anything. Any subject you bring up, you can find someone like, you're wrong. That church is wrong. That wrong, wrong, wrong. It's, it's just never ending. So we have to acknowledge that. But while we are acknowledging that reality, we also have to acknowledge this. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed this. John chapter 17, verse 20, the words of Jesus, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus prayed for the unity of of those who would believe, that they would be one. Now, that's what Jesus prayed. We know what the reality is. How do you reconcile Jesus' prayer with the reality that you see in the town you live? Just, just get in your car right now, start driving around the, while you're listening to me. Just get in your car and start driving around and count how many different churches. Count how many different churches. And, you say, and some people will like, oh, but that's a beautiful thing. It shows that diversity. It doesn't show that diversity because one church, every church there has absolute dogmatic doctrinal theological claims. And in many cases, they, those theological claims clearly would claim that those who don't agree with them are wrong. Maybe consider them heretical. Maybe consider them a, a other anyone else that doesn't believe them apostate. May even call into question the salvation of anyone who doesn't hold to their theological system. It is very much a a divided situation, and there's no way to get around it. Now, you've got to try to figure out how to reconcile that. I wish I still I wish I had an answer. I don't have an answer, but someone emailed me with a possible answer. This email came in today at 12.31 p.m., so a little over an hour ago. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. The title of the email, Disunity. Right Here we go. Jesus' prayer for unity and John 17.21 can also be understood as being united and having the right doctrine. All right. Now, okay, this, and if I, if, if for some reason I misunderstand the email, the original emailer can email me back and I will obviously turn on the microphone and offer any correction that I need to. But let's just go with this idea that what Jesus is praying for is that, hey, you guys would be one in doctrine, Not one in like just one church, but you'll be one in doctrine. Now, just a couple of things to think about. Well, one, if the body of Christ was one in doctrine, then why are there so many different denominations? So immediately we know even that, 
even if that's what Jesus is praying for, it's not evident in the church today because we don't have one doctrine in any way, shape, or form. Not only that, if you say that they are to be unified in one doctrine, who and one, or as this says, one right doctrine or in right doctrine, who gets to say what is the right doctrine? Jesus is praying that we would all be unified in one right doctrine. Okay, well, obviously that's not happening. But number two, who gets to say which doctrine is right? Who gets to say, that's the right, everyone must be united to that doctrine. And uh, others would be like, no, 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 no. You have to be unified with us and our, do- our doctrine is right. That's the one you must be unified. Now, someone else would be like, no, no, no. You must be unified with our doctrine. Our doctrine is right. Whose doctrine is the right doctrine that everyone must be unified with and in? They go on to say this. In this case, the verse would actually be anti-ecumenical. Well, yes and no. It would be anti-ecumenical in the sense that ecumenicalism usually denies, it has to almost play down and, and ignore doctrine so that we can have some form of unity. But in reality, if if, if, if what Jesus is praying for is that we would all be one in right doctrine, it wouldn't be anti-ecumenical. It, we would be, it, there wouldn't be any need for any kind of ecumenical anything. We would all be in agreement, right? Hey, here's the right doctrine. We're all to be agreement upon that. There would be no di- need for different denominations or different churches because we would all be in agreement with the right doctrine. So I, I don't know if it's anti-ecumenical. Ec- ecumenicalism usually requires us to, well, almost demands that you ignore doctrine. You just we're not going to talk about certain doctrinal issues so, so that we can all be, we can all pretend that we're one. We're only pretending that we're, the only way we're able to pretend that we're one is we're, we're denying and ignoring our doctrinal differences. But if John 17, 21 is understood as being united and having the right doctrine, well, then we would all have, we, 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 there wouldn't be different denominations. There wouldn't be different confessions of faith. There wouldn't be different doctrinal statements. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a solution. They go on to say, um, which is what I have read somewhere some time ago, but I don't remember where. Then it says John Gill and his commentary agrees with this, and this is what they quote, quoting from John Gill's commentary: "This may regard their unity in faith and in the knowledge of Christ, for there is but one faith." which all truly experienced souls agree in. There's but one faith that all, I guess, Christians supposedly agree in. Is, is, that, is that even true? I, I don't know how we can make that claim. They go on to say, Uh, They are converted by the same spirit and have the same work of grace wrought in them. And though they have not the same degree of light and measure of spiritual knowledge, yet they agree in the main point of the gospel. Do we agree in the main point of the gospel? Again, I'll ask the question. There's a Lutheran church. Do they agree in the main point of the gospel? Some people may say, absolutely. They believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Yes. 
but they also will take water, put it on the forehead of an eight-year-old baby and tell you that that baby was just regenerated and born again and became a Christian as a result of the work of baptism. I don't agree with that. Or I don't agree with that. I don't believe that baby became saved by baptizing it. We don't agree. If, if for them, if the baby, I mean, like there's a massive disagreement there in churches. Some, some would argue, no, no, that, that's not, that's not salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. That's a salvation by works. Others would say that's a false gospel. Others would say, some would say, no, it's a good God. Which is it? So do we agree? Are, are we, are we, uh, is that one faith? My faith is you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. They would say yes to the same thing. And then they put water on a baby and say the baby just became saved. How is that the same faith? Um, They go on to say, so uh, that we agree in the main point of the gospel, salvation alone by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we agree in salvation alone? And Jesus Christ, if you believe you can put water on a baby and the baby is born again and the baby is regenerated and the baby is converted because of water placed on on them because it's a sacrament. When, When I was a Lutheran, we were also taught that someone could lose their salvation. Well, if you can lose your salvation, I mean, like that we could go, there's multiple issues here. There's multiple issues here. So um, I don't, is there agreement there? Is there, a, is there agreement on the main point of the gospel when you have a church that's either semi-Pelagian, Pelagian, Arminian versus a church that's Augustinian, Calvinistic, Reformed? Like th- those are massive different approaches to the gospel. Um, if, if, or do you believe in salvation alone by the Lord Jesus Christ? If someone, if, if a church believes that you can lose your salvation? Um, and such an agreement in the doctrines of faith and the grand articles of it. Are, are, is there agreement in the doctrine of faith and the grand articles of it? Which articles are there agreement of within the body of Christ when it comes to faith? I've already pointed out things that relate directly to salvation, things that relate directly to the gospel. Can you lose your salvation? No, you not not lose your salvation. Are are you saved because of the decision you made that you exercise faith by something because of faith in you? Or do you believe faith is a gift given to us by God and God has to give us the faith? I mean, those are radically different approaches. They're not even anywhere on the same page. They're completely different approaches to Christianity. Um. So again, let me read everything John Gill says here. So John 17, 21, this may regard their unity and faith and the knowledge of Christ for there's but one faith, which all truly experienced souls agree in. They are converted by the same spirit, have the same work of the grace wrought in them, though they, though they have not the same degree of light and measure of spiritual knowledge, yet they agree in the main point of the gospel, salvation alone by the Lord Jesus Christ, and such an agreement in the doctrines of faith and grand articles of it. Respecting the person and offices of Christ is absolutely necessary to their comfortable walking together in church fellowship. I, I don't know how that sounds really good, but it doesn't pan out in any meaningful way in real life. There's not agreement on salvation. There's not agreement on, 
on so many issues pertaining to that. Again, just just take Lutheranism, which is typically viewed by many as being a a valid Protestant church. But wait a minute, they if when they're saying that the baby was saved because of water, and others would say absolutely not, the baby wasn't saved. That's a radical. That's that goes directly to the gospel and to salvation and to faith. But but we'll just overlook that, and, and that's that's that doesn't help to me. This doesn't help in any way, shape, or form. You can't say that's one faith. That's not one faith. Those are di- divergent faiths, making completely different claims about the gospel and about salvation. They are not the same faith. They are making completely different claims. So I thought I would do a little looking around, look for some other explanations. And I found this article. What is unity in Christ? Okay, good. They're going to they're going to help us once and all. We're going they're going to help us figure out what is unity. There there's we have to acknowledge the reality of disunity. We have to acknowledge that John 17:21, Jesus prays that we are one. There's at least some attempt to say, "Well, we're one." And and some and and right doctrine, but we're not one in right doctrine because no one a can agree on what the right doctrine is, and b there's just massive disagreement on every doctrinal issue I could possibly name. So let's see if this article offers any good solution. Unity is a state of oneness and harmony. All believers in Christ are united in Christ. We are in a relationship that unites us with him and with and with every other believer. All right, now this kind of goes with what I call the theoretical unity. Hey, okay, look, we're not actually unified. We, we don't actually agree on anything. We don't agree on doctrine. We don't agree on theology. We don't agree on hermeneutics. We don't agree on interpretation. We don't agree on anything. But, 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 in theory, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, we're unified. Now, we don't have to do anything to actually manifest unity. We don't have to demonstrate unity because we can still yell and tell each other that you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're a heretic. No, you're a heretic. No, you don't know how to enter. You don't know how to enter. Your church is wrong. No, your church is wrong. We can still do that, but somehow, theoretically, we can pat ourselves on the back going, but we're really one. I'm not a big fan of the theoretical unity concept. Hey, hey, we're one. We 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 never demonstrate it, but we're one. Let's see what else they they go on to say here. Jesus prayed for his disciples, all who would believe in him for all the ages, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, John 17, 21. Some look at the great divisions among Christian denominations and refer to this as Christ's great unanswered prayer. However, Scripture is clear that all believers are united with Christ because of our relationship with Him and with all other believers. We are all in the same family, even at the, even at, even even it at times we do, even if at times we do not act like it. They 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 didn't put if, but okay. Uh, therefore, unity in Christ has two aspects. One is objective fact. And one is subjective experience. So they're going to look at it this way. Okay, we, we've got to, we can't say that Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. 
So here's what we're going to do. There's an objective reality. It's just an objective reality that we are unified. Then there's a subjective experience. There's an objective fact that we're just unified, period, no matter what happens. And then there's a subjective experience. Let's see if they offer any explanation in how this would work. They'll go on to say this, objective and subjective unity can be true from any number of groups, teams, or even families. All the members of the football team are unified by their membership in the group. They do not win or lose games individually. The individuals contribute to the group, but it is the group that wins or loses. That is the objective fact. However, there may be times that the team does not act in a unified way. Selfishness and rivalry may creep up, and when it does, it is impossible for the team to act as a unit. There, this is the subjective aspect. The behavior of individuals on the team is not matching the fact of their unity with uh, every other member of the team. All right, so that's, that's their way around it. So re- reality is, objectively, we're unified. We just don't act like it, but we're still unified. Do you realize how meaningless that is? Hey, we don't act like it, but just know that we're really unified. I don't know, like, what what is that supposedly accomplishes? Hey, we're really unified, even though we've not demonstrated it. And basically, you know, I don't know, especially since the Protestant Reformation, we haven't agreed. We've demonstrated nothing but disagreement and a new denomination popping up every time you turn around. Uh, does that make you feel better? Hey, we're elite. We're on the same team. Now, I believe your team is possibly heretical, but we're on the same team. I, I don't know what that, I don't know what that really accomplishes. Let, let's see if they offer any better explanation. All who believe in Christ are part of his body, the church. The New Testament is clear on this. Ephesians 5.30 says it plainly. If we, we are members of his body, Whether a Christian feels like it or not, he or she is part of Christ's body and therefore unified with every believer, every other believer. Paul uses the analogy of the body in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 21. Now, let me stop right here. Once again, this is just so, they call it objective. To me, it's just theoretical nonsense because we don't even agree on who's in the body. We don't. Again, I'll go back to my Lutheran illustration. If a a Lutheran, born in a Lutheran household, taken to that church, sprinkled, and boom, supposedly they're now saved, we would say that's not salvation because that person is not saved. While the Lutherans would say that person's now part of the body of Christ. We don't agree on who's in the body of Christ. So what, what difference does it make for us to go, hey, well, if you're a believer and I'm a believer, we're in the body of Christ. We may not even, we don't even know who is and who isn't, and we would disagree on who is and who isn't. I, I don't know what that supposedly accomplishes. Uh, they quote 1 Corinthians 12, 20, uh, 12 through 21, just as a body, or, or at least, yeah, they're quoting a good portion of it. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just read everything they have to say here. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we are all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm, a, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not... It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I should not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would uh, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we're all one part, where would the body be? As it were, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, let me stop right here. This is always applied to the larger body of Christ. Like this, this is applying to supposedly to all of Christianity. But again, it becomes meaningless because there's literally, this, this is referring more to a proc, a, a, that, hey, we're all a part of a body in a practical way, in a functioning way. When we make this some theoretical, see, we're all Christians are a part of the body and some are this or some, it, it's no longer, it, it, it doesn't have any practical value. It just becomes a theoretical concept. And we cannot forget that when Paul writes to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 21, he's not referencing the entire quote unquote body of Christ. He's referencing the local church there in Corinth. He's trying to show them how they are to get along. He's trying to show them how they are to function together within an actual visible body. This is not, hey, guys, you need to get along with all Christians everywhere. No, he's he's like, hey, hey, church at Corinth, you're divided. You're fighting one another. You need to be unified. He's referencing unity within that local church, not within this concept of the invisible church. He's talking about a visible body right there in the city of Corinth. So, but we always rip that out of its context and say, this is how it works in the entire body of Christ. But it, that, it, that's just theory. It doesn't have any practical value. He's talking about how things work within an actual body of believers, a local church that has actual practical functionality in, in reality. They go on to say this. Um, it, in the same way, the church has unity in Christ. As part of his body, each member has a particular job to do and a place to belong. When any individual member is not fulfilling his or her purpose in the body, the whole body suffers. All the members are united, and because of that unity, when one acts in an individualistic or selfish manner, acts as if he's not part of the body, the whole body suffers because regardless of his actions, the individual members is still in unity with all the others in the body. So now that paragraph makes absolutely no sense if you pull it out of a local church, right? If you're like the, within the entire body of Christ, right? The entire body made up of all believers all around the world. I want you to take that concept and see if that, may, oh, I'm going to read it again. It makes absolutely no sense. In the same way the church has unity in Christ, 
Each member has a particular job to do and a place to belong. When any individual member is not fulfilling his or her purpose in the body, the whole body suffers. So you're, you're telling me right now, if one Christian somewhere is not doing their job, the entire body of Christ, the entire invisible church is suffering. That's the most ridiculous thing. How do you even, how do you, how do you even quantify that? Qualify that? How does that even, how do you even prove that? Hey, right now there's some individual believer in Yugoslavia, there's in Romania, there's a there's an individual believer somewhere right now in a small island in the Bahamas and they're not doing their their part and the and the whole body of Christ, the entire body of Christ is just boom, just brought to a screeching halt. Nothing is working. Nobody believes that in any meaningful way. This is the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. If one person, if one person doesn't do their job in the body of Christ, the entire body suffers. Really? Come on now. Come on. Come on now. That, that, that's just the most, I mean, I'm going to read that again because it's just absolutely a, this is just makes no sense. Let me read it to you again. In the same way, the church has unity in Christ. As part of his body, each member has a particular job to do and a place to belong. When any individual member is not fulfilling his or her purpose in the body, the whole body suffers. At best, you can apply that to a local congregation. Now, a small congregation, there's great truth to that. You have one or two individuals not doing their part in the church. The whole church hurts, right? One person doesn't bother to show up for church. It can have an absolute devastating impact on, a, on, on what you can and can't do because you're such a small church. One, one member is not giving. One member is not. It can have a devastating impact. But but you cannot apply this to the just invisible supposed body of Christ. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. They go on to say this. All the members are united, and because of that unity, when one acts in an individualistic or selfish manner, acts as if he's not part of the body, the whole body suffers because regardless of his actions, the individual member is still in unity with all the other members of the body. That just uh, that makes literally no sense applying it to the quote-unquote invisible body of Christ, that, that just, that makes absolutely no sense. Just no sense. But to a local church, it does. Let's see what else they go on to say. Or what, what else they go on to, to argue here. They only got a couple of paragraphs left. All right. Many of the commands in the New Testament direct Christians to live up to their position and demonstrate their unity in Christ. Christians are not commanded to become one in Christ, that is already an objective reality. Christians are told to make their subjective experience match the objective fact. Paul pleads with the Philippians for this kind of unity. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete 
uh, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each uh, of you to the interest of others. Now, I again, I believe that that's a reference to, well, that was to the believers at Philippi. That was to the church at Philippi. The local congregation the, the only unity we can even hope to even address is the, is the unity within a local congregation, one local church, one local body. That's all we can hope to address. When, when that, that one local body, that one local visible New Testament church, that's what we have to focus on. It's not about how this works in, in the Christianity at large or some invisible body where it means nothing, but it always means something in the congregation, in the context of a local congregation. That's where unity is. That's where you're challenged. That's where you have to set aside and place others before yourself. That's where you have to stop worrying about yourself and worry about how your actions impact others. That's where you have to worry about if you show up or don't show up or how you conduct yourself when you do show up, are you making it helping everyone else? Or are you just uh, causing problems and divisions? It, that, that has a practical reality within the context of a local church, not in some invisible body where the, this makes no sense. It makes sense in a local situation. Christians who are members of the same team see themselves in competition with each other, then they're not playing as teammates. They're not living in light of the unity that exists. Well, guess what? Christians uh, constantly see themselves in competition. Are, are you, I mean, come on. This is almost acting like they don't know that what happens within Christianity. Within the larger context of Christianity, churches are not only competing against each other, they're making their own unique truth claims, which then argue that the other churches are incorrect and wrong. What, the, what a Presbyterian believes about infant baptism is making a truth claim that everyone else who, who doesn't do what they do in baptizing babies and then making them a member of the visible church, even though they believe it's not salvific, they still, you know, hey, this is placing the sign of the covenant on them. Now this child is a part of the visible church. Others would say, absolutely not. The child can't be baptized because baptism for those who profess faith and the child can't be a part of the visible church until they make a profession of faith. Those are massive different truth claims. That makes a truth, a different, complete truth claims that are about the identity of the church, the makeup of the church, membership in the church. It's completely radically different. So that is in competition with one another. The only way this works, the only way you can even hope for any kind of unity is within one local church. One local church. And it's hard enough to maintain unity within local churches, local individual congregations. They split and fall apart all the time. Uh, they go on, unity in Christ means all believers are in relationship with Christ and by extension to every other believer. All believers are united with each other, whether they know it or not, like it or not, or feel like it or not. The challenge of Christian unity is to live up to the truth of that reality. Since we are all members of one body, we need to live like it. Do we? 
Hey, so now again, this goes to the idea that all Christians were all a part of one body, so live like it. Well, if we're all a part of one body and live like it, then there should only be one church, one denomination. But there isn't, and they're never going to be. Again, that's never, we're never going back to quote unquote one church. So what does it mean live like it? You're just talking about some pretend display of unity where there is no real unity. This means subordinating our individual needs to the needs of the body at large and using our individual gifts for the good of the whole body. Well, when, when do you see Christians giving up their subordinating their individual needs for the body at large? No, nobody is looking at the body at large. Local congregations are worried about themselves. And then the last paragraph. Unity in Christ does not mean that all differences between churches and denominations need to be abolished. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so okay, so we can be unified, but hey, we don't need to abolish denominations and, and different churches. No, we can we can have different denominations and different churches, but but we can still be unified. What does that even mean? Let's see if they explain. Individual churches and denominations can keep their individual distinctives and emphasize while still working together in areas where they agree. So, okay, we're going to work together in the areas where we agree and ignore the areas where we disagree. So, but, but, but we're unified. We're unified in what? For instance, an evangelical Baptist church and an evangelical Presbyterian church will be in agreement on the gospel and the essentials of the faith, but because of different beliefs about baptism, it would be impossible for the two churches to simply unite as one church. It might be possible for a church to take a neutral position on infant baptism. However, it's hard to see how a church could teach that parents should baptize their babies, as do Presbyterians, and at the same time teach that parents should not baptize their babies, as in Baptist churches. While these two groups could never unite as a single local church or denomination, they can still cooperate in other ministry endeavors, and individuals within each local body can fellowship with each other in love. I don't know how you can work together in ministry. Ministry. We're going we're to work together in ministry, but just know that their doctrine is wrong. <laughs> I, that just seems so, I don't know what that even looks like. So let's do this. First, the email. I do appreciate the person sending the email. And I and I do approach. I do appreciate the approach, or at least the attempt here. I I obviously am in disagreement, but I'm in disagreement because of the reality of the situation. So the the original email, the the one that we're talking about from today, says that John seventeen twenty one can be understood as being uni- united and having the right doctrine. All right. Well, the only problem is. First of all, you would have to define what the right doctrine is. That once you define the right doctrine, then you would have to say we have to be unified in that right doctrine. Well, once you define the doctrine and then everyone's in agreement with that doctrine, then there should probably be no reason why they're separate churches unless you're going to really limit which doctrines that refer to. 
But if you're going to say united in right doctrine, that would have to be every doctrine. Because if you're going to be united in right doctrine, you would have to be united in all doctrine and define which is right. In other words, this this is not funk this is not in a in any kind of meaningful functional answer because we're never going to agree on what right doctrine is, much less what not only are we not going to agree on defining which doctrines are the right doctrines, we won't agree on our beliefs on those doctrines, which we see currently in the body of Christ and we've seen now for a very long time in the history of Christianity. Um, John Gill's approach, which supposedly goes with this same concept, reads, let me read it again to one more time. This may regard to their unity of faith and in the knowledge of Christ. Well, there's no unity in faith. There's no unity in faith within the body of Christ. There's so much disagreement. Um, he says there's one faith. Well, if there's one faith, there's so much disagreement about that supposed faith, and nobody can agree on how to define said faith, all right, uh, which were all the true experienced souls agree in, uh, that are converted by the same spirit, that have the same work of grace wrought in them, and and uh, and though they have not the same degree of light and measure of, spir- of spiritual knowledge, yet they agree in the main point of the gospel. There's not agreement on the main point of the gospel. There's disagreements, as I've already demonstrated, just as, as simply from Lutheranism to, say, a Baptist church. There's disagreements on so much when it comes to the gospel. Salvation by alone by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Lutherans would say the baby gets baptized and boom, it's saved. It would, there would be massive disagreements. And such an agreement in the doctrine of faith. Is there agreement in the doctrine of faith? No, some people believe faith is just something that you can have. And others were like, no, God has to give you the faith. And he doesn't give everyone the faith because he grants faith to those whom he had elected. A completely different understanding. Um, He says, an agreement in the doctrines of faith and the grand articles of it. I don't think there's agreement in the grand articles of it. Uh, respecting the person and offices of Christ uh, is absolutely necessary to their comfortable wa- walking together in church fellowship. I, there's just so much disagreement and so many different of those areas that it that's there's no there's nothing functioning happening there. So let me give you my view again. The only unity we can hope for is within a local church, one church, one congregation working together to maintain biblical unity within that local church, period. The article, Unity in Christ, that we looked at, they try to offer that, hey, in reality, we're all one, even though we don't show it. But they don't demonstrate how this supposed we're all one is supposed to manifest itself in any meaningful way. And we we, we worked through all of the problems there. There we have it. No good answers. Absolutely no good answers. I'm going to say it again. I think the only, and, and I'm not saying that this answers John 17, 21. I'm not saying it does. Um, John 17, 21, that they all may be one. Look, here's the problem. No matter what we try to do, we're not one. We're never going to be one again. So you say, well, you don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer but I have at least something that's workable, something that's at least tangible, something that's at least real, something that's at least practical. And that is, if you are a Christian and you're a member of a local congregation, you need to be doing everything in your power 
not worried about anybody else, not worried about the past. You focus on you. What can you do to demonstrate the right character so that you are a source of bringing unity and help and benefit to that local congregation? Are you placing others before yourself? Are you demonstrating love? Are you worrying about helping other people? Are you submitting to biblical authority? Are you doing what you can? You you can worry about, well, there's just so much disunity. I don't know what to do. Focus on what you can do, which is you're in a local congregation. Do what you can right there. Well, we, well, so much, so much uh, work has occurred within the evangelical world on some form of ecumenicalism. All of the attempts at ecumenicalism have all failed. They've all crashed and burned. And while we're sitting there trying to worry about ecumenicalism and how to make that work, local congregations continue to split and fall apart and fight and backbite and gossip and slander, just like the problem was in 1 Corinthians. So you can't run to 1 Corinthians or, or, or Philippians or Ephesians and, and try to rip that and say, well, no, this is how it's supposed to work in the invisible body of Christ, the invisible church. No, those are letters written to specific congregations, visible congregations located in specific cities. I think all the speaking of unity is, is reference to local churches. All right, we'll stop there. No definitive answers, but important conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see what other emails I get. I, 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 I know that the person who emailed me is probably going to be frustrated that I appeared to disagree. I just think that in practicality, now, if you want to apply that to a local congregation, right? Now, think of it this way. I will agree with the emailer if we do it this way. We are to be one in right doctrine within the context of one local congregation. Because one local congregation can say, here's our doctrinal statement. Here's what we believe. And to be a member of this one local congregation, everyone here needs to agree with this doctrinal statement and work together to support it and not fight and argue against it. Now there I can agree. Now the minute you try to broaden that, well, first of all, it's never going to work in the body of Christ. You could try along denominational lines. You could try that to some level. You could try that. But it's easier to maintain in any meaning, put it this way, any meaningful, practical value of that kind of unity works within a local congregation, local church. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, hey guys, you need to become one. You need to see your individual role within this local church. If you see those calls for unity as referring to that local church, it makes more sense to me. All right. You can email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I hope that made sense. Again, doing the best I can under my 
current physical limitations because of COVID. Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more over it every day. Hopefully, we're about to get back to normal. But I, I still wanted to at least address this issue. There's still... We still don't have good answers. We still don't have good answers here. We still don't. And the issue is the d- reality of the disunity in the body of Christ versus John 17, 21. Those, that, you just have to acknowledge the disunity is there. It's never going to be fixed. And yet John 17, 21 is there. How do you work that? You can tell me. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.